Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Good morning, everyone. How are you? I can't see you. Wave your hand. There you go. Now I can see you. How's everybody? Wave at the person next to you. Say, good to see you. There you go. Some of you even meant it. That means a lot right now. Hey, I'm thankful that, that we're here together and we have an opportunity of really beginning a journey that's going to last for several weeks. And I've been praying about and trying to discern what it is that God would have us to, to talk about and to discuss and kind of sit in for a while. And this, this series called The Irresistible Church kind of bubbled up and talking about and leaning heavy into into the book of Acts and looking at what were the, the irresistible factors that drove the early church, what drove people in the early church then to, or people outside of the church, then to come into the church and to become part of the church and give their lives to Christ, what were the, the, the qualities, if you will, of the early church. So we're going to look at some of those things, and I believe that when we look at these with fresh eyes, we're going to see that they're irresistible, maybe even in our days, just, just like they were in theirs. Now, I do want to apologize because... Uh, the title of this message is Irresistible Love. And just in case you were expecting like Michael Bolton and like an 80s, uh, 80s love ballad, it's not happening. I just want you to know. But I do want to apologize because I actually named it and I thought about it afterward and it was like the ball started rolling. And then I saw it on the card, on the info card that, that I had asked uh, Dolly to print up and stuff. And I was like, Irresistible Love. And I'm like, man, that's sending a weird message. I don't know. But... I have no Michael Bolton, I have no cool hair, I've got no 80s ballad, but I've got Jesus in the Bible. Is that okay with you? I've got some of that. I've got some of that. That I can uh, bring to you. Now, it is a study in Acts, and what you're eventually going to find out is actually the main passage today is from 1 John. I'm not confused, but we're going to get in Acts later in the series, but what I believe is there was, there was a quality, the irresistible love kind of factor or quality in the early church that we don't see that right out of the gate in Acts. So we're going to jump into Acts actually starting next week, but I want us to take a slow roll, and we're going to roll to the back of the Bible, and then we're going to go to the left in your Bible to Acts starting next week. But eventually we're going to end up in 1 John 4. First, I want to tell you this, and like... Uh, I don't know if any of you were scouts, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. I don't even know what Girl Scouts do other than sell cookies. And thank you for that, by the way. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm not even going to tell you which ones I like because you're going to buy me some. And then I'm going to be compelled to eat them. I'm not going to do that to myself because you you love me so well and you want to fatten me up. Anyway, so here's the thing. I don't know what Girl Scouts do, but I know what Boy Scouts do because I was a Boy Scout. Give it up for Troop 68. I don't even know if it exists anymore. I was in Troop 68 back in... A long time ago. That's when it was. It was a long time ago. And I, I had the opportunity to get my canoeing merit badge. And I really look forward to this, not because I love canoeing. As a matter of fact, I could tell you a lot of other stories about me and canoeing, and they don't really end well. And, uh, and maybe we needed some marriage counseling after one of those little bouts. I'll tell you that story in a later day. But I had the opportunity of getting a canoeing merit badge. I didn't know what that entailed. I just knew that there was a bunch of things that I was supposed to do, and they kind of set it up for us to go out to this pond to get a canoeing merit badge. So I was out there with a bunch of other troop or troopers, and we're going to go out and get this, this merit badge. You put on you know, your life jacket. Everything's safe. No one drowned. Praise God. Everything was awesome in that regard. However, 
I knew that something was weird whenever they put us out there in the canoe and then we had to flip over the perfectly good canoe and swamp the canoe, fill the canoe up with water by ourselves, and then lift the canoe up over our head while we're, while we're kicking our feet, by the way, and then lift the canoe over our head and get in that canoe and do so effectively to get our canoeing merit badge. I did that and I survived. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying I'm good. No, no, I survived. But I want to tell you, that really wasn't as difficult is what I found actually when I was getting out of the lake. Now, I was super motivated to get this canoeing merit badge because I, the more merit badges you get, the higher the rank you get. And I, at that time, I was pursuing Eagle Scout. I didn't reach Eagle Scout, but I was trying to pursue that, so I was all in, highly motivated. I got out of the water after completing all of the, the water phase of what we were supposed to do, and I got out and only to find out that there were little slugs all over the canoe, all over my friends, and all over me. Because inside the pond, there was, say, I don't know, three foot of water, about two foot of mud. So when you stand, it was kind of like one of those kind of things. And yeah, good sound effects. You're getting it all this morning. So, and it was that, but I didn't realize what was happening until I got out, and then they had to take a knife and literally cut the, cut the slugs off of our legs, and it was disgusting. If you were to ask me now, hey, do you want to go out and you want to do all those things? I would say absolutely not. Why? Because I have no motivation to do so because I wouldn't gain anything. You see, isn't it interesting in life how what you're motivated to do can cause you to do things that you would later maybe even not do and maybe you'd even later regret because our motivations change. One of the key motivations is what we'll see today. I'd say maybe the, the most important motivation of the early church that made the, the, the early church irresistible was this irresistible love. That there was a love that was, that was founded in Jesus, and I'll illustrate it with this cross. So there's, there's an image of the cross that you will see. Thank you, Izzy. You see the cross, it's like, I wanted to display it in this way, just the, the image of the cross. You have a love that, that descends down from heaven, that God to us, and now there's, there's a love that flows from God, and that changes the way that we love people. So there's the vertical aspect of the love of God, but also the love of God going out to us horizontally, illustrated with the cross. This is, this is key for us to understand that that there are certain things that motivate us, and if we have the wrong motivations, we won't actually be and do the things that we want to do, even though we may have it in our heart in this moment to do it. If our motivations are off, we won't complete the task that God has for us. And God still has a task for you, and he still has a mission for all of us to accomplish here at Calvary Baptist Church. That's a good place for an amen. That means we have work to do. But here's the challenge. I'm not always motivated to love people in the way that Jesus loves me. Can we all agree on that? Maybe you're in the same boat. There's just times that I found that people, even myself, are hard to love. Can we all say amen like you're exhausted on that one? It's true. Like We are difficult. We, we as people, not just somebody else, we're all difficult, and at times we're hard to love. So, an illustration, I mean, I could just take you in my truck at 5 o'clock when I leave the office, and if I just dare to go out on 29 and go toward Walmart, every fiber of my spiritual being is going to be tested before I actually get out on 29. 
because it seems like nobody gives you a break. You go, to, you go out here on Hainer Avenue, and you go to take a left, and people are relentless. People are just driving by like they just flat ignore you. Maybe they heard that sermon illustration from some, several weeks ago, and it's just coming back to you. I'm not really sure. But here, here's the thing. It's like there are so many opportunities. You go to Walmart. You go to Walmart, right? You go in there and, and go through that whole process. You're going to be tested. Are you really going to love the people who are in front of you? Do you really love the fact that you have to check out your own groceries nowadays? Do you? No, you don't. Like, right? So this does something inside of us. There's something inside of us, and it's sin, but it renders itself in a bunch of different ways that actually gets in the way of us loving people the way that Jesus loves us. In 1 John 2, the, not the main passage, 1 John 2, 15 and 16, this is the way that John, to, to his audience, talks about it. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the, 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 the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what is he saying? He's like, there are some things that are clogging up your ability to love people the way that Jesus loves you. And the goal for us as followers of Jesus is to love people the way that Jesus loves us. That's the goal. So in here, John, he talks about the desires of the flesh, the, de- the desires of the eyes of the pride of life. So here's what this may look like. You see, if, if our desires are fleshly desires, we're not going to love people, we're going to use people. So if our, if our desires are fleshly desires, we're going to use people to get what we want instead of loving, the way, the way, and loving them the way that Jesus loves us. Uh, some fleshly motivations could be this. Using people for our own power, influence, or fame. Using people for our own recognition or approval. Competing with people, treating people as if everyone's a rival. That way you can compete against them and you win against them and you make you feel better about yourself. Using people for your own security. Or using people, just the lust of the flesh rendered out for using people to gain maybe material wealth and some rewards, money, or things, maybe even that money can't buy. In saying that, I know that we all feel this. We feel like, I want to love people the way that Jesus loves me, and I know the Bible tells me to do that. How do I do that? And I'm going to give you some very practical ways of doing that today. But first, we're going to lean into our main passage, starting in 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. The passage itself is pretty self-explanatory, so I don't have to spend a lot of time on it. You're going to get the idea really, really fast. But just because we get the idea really, really fast doesn't mean that we're going to do it really, really easily. Just because it's easy to understand doesn't mean it's always easy to apply. Let me give you some of the, the background with this passage. John is writing to an audience who's left in the church. There's been another group of people who were in the church who thought that they had this higher knowledge than what was being taught and preached and delivered within the church. So these people thought they had a higher knowledge. It was rooted in Greek thought. So now this group of people leaves the church, and now John's writing to those who are within the church, and they're scratching their head and thinking, are we doing something wrong? What are we supposed to do now? How can we know where we fit into the mix. And, and this is important, he says, how can we know where they fit into the mix? 
meaning the people who left, but also the people who are here. So now the people are confused. So John writes three personal letters to a group of Christians, and this is taken from uh, the first letter. Verse 11 says this, Dear friends, notice just the kindness in his words. He's like, dear friends. He's not speaking harshly. He says, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives us. God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in Him, and He in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. So how can we know when we are motivated by God or ourselves? How can we know when we're motivated by God or ourselves? Simply put, a person is motivated by self when a failed attempt to motivate yourself creates stress, guilt, or shame. That is an indicator that you're trying to motivate yourself, that God is not motivating you to love, but when you, in your own strength and power, in your own flesh, in your own self, seeks to love someone else and you fail the standard that you set for yourself, if that brings about stress, anxiety, or shame, that is an indicator that is not Christ's love through you, that is you trying to manifest or trying to motivate yourself to love them. I'm not trying to create a gotcha for you, but I'm trying to make it clear in your mind, in your heart, when you're motivated by your own self, because if you're to be able to diagnose your behavior even before it happens, what, how, maybe predict how you would normally uh, perform or what you would do in a certain situation, I know that if you would have this valuable information about yourself, you would be able to love love. People the way that Jesus loves you, not perfectly, but increasingly. There was a missionary by the name of Hudson Taylor, just a career missionary, 51 years uh, on the mission field, and his primary location of ministry was in China. He did great work. He was interviewing some, some youth who were pursuing, uh, maybe just pursuing missions uh, just to go out and be foreign missionaries in their own right. And so he asked him this question. He says, why do you wish to go out as a foreign missionary? It's a great question. So he's asking these young people, and there was one group of of young people. They said, well, because we have the the Great Commission, we're told to go out and bring the good news to all creation. Hudson Taylor, he nods his head. He's like, okay, okay. There was another group of people, and they said, because there are people who are dying and going to hell. And if they don't know Jesus, they're destined and they're, they're going to be damned and they're going to be separated from God forever. Hudson Taylor shook his head and he's like, well, wow, yeah, yes, I'm following that. And there were some other people who kind of chimed in and said similar things. Hudson Taylor, he synthesizes the idea with this and he says, well, all of your motives are good, but I fear they will fail you in times of severe testing and tribulation, something that a career missionary would know. 
He continues, the only motive that will, that will enable you to remain true is stated in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. And this is what he quoted them. Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Love is the foremost motivation for the people of God because it was Christ's foremost motivation for rescuing us. This is what Hudson Taylor knew, and this is how he clarified it with them. There's some things we can gather from this passage, this short passage, of which, again, John writing to some friends, not with any sin of condemnation, but he cares for them and he loves them and he's trying to help them. There's some things that we could gather. All these are on your, your info card, by the way. First thing we could see is love is not naturally in us without God in our lives. The second thing you, that you and I could easily see is not loving others is a sign of a lack of God. Another is that God did more than just say that he loves us. Instead, the word of God says that he demonstrated his love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just say, well, love you, man. He did something to show his love. You see, our love for others is filtered through the lens of Jesus' love for us. When I was in my 30s, I realized that I had an eyesight problem because I would drive down the road and I couldn't see signs from afar. And then I get in my 40s and I realized that I had a, I had a hand problem and an arm problem that, that my arm I couldn't go out far enough. And, and I, it was limited. So then I knew that I was, I was in trouble. So not only did I have an eyesight problem, I also had a length of arm problem and I had a real problem. And then I went to the doctor and I found out the older you get, the more expensive your glasses get. Have you found this out too? And so my glasses, they, they look normal, but my eyesight is not good at all. Like it's, I can't see from far. I can't see up close. But you see, here's the thing, very simple way of illustrating the point. These lenses change the way that I see the world. God's love changes the way that we see other people. God's love changes the way that we see other people. It changes the way that we see other people. Instead of seeing them from our own fleshly desires, our own to gain our own selfish ways, instead we start seeing people the way that Jesus sees people. And that is the irresistible love that drew you to Jesus in the first place. And that's the irresistible love that, is gonna, that, that God uses over and over and over to change a city, to change a county, to change a state, to change a country, to change the world. It's that. You see, people are drawn to that kind of other-centered love. This is the same type of love that Jesus also talked about in John 13, 34 and 35. It was a new idea to them. It seems somewhat old hat to us. The setting here is right before the crucifixion, by the way. And Jesus had just demonstrated true servanthood by washing the disciples' feet. And he gives us this command. 
Notice that he doesn't say turn over the Roman, turn over Roman rule. Create, you know, the, the world is going terrible. You need to do something politically. You need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. Instead, this is what Jesus says in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Notice this. Jesus Jesus is saying this in the company of the person who would betray him. Jesus was saying this after he had performed many miracles, even people who, who hadn't even professed faith before that, or who knows what lifestyle they had, but he, but he showed this great love for them and he healed them. What we talked about in our last series, of the, the series called Switch, is how Jesus made invisible people visible. Like he, and he did it over and over and over again. People who were, who were on the margins of society, Jesus elevated. You look at the woman at the well in John 4. The way that Jesus just addressed her, he cut, he cut across all cultural, uh, gender, every other boundary, and he just spoke to her as someone who was loved by God, because she was, and she is. So when Jesus is saying this, he's not saying this just as a gotcha for, for his audience and for everyone else. The disciples, and we could read for ourselves as we go through the, as we go through the Gospels and look at the, just the biographies of Jesus' life, we could see that Jesus modeled this. We're to imitate his life. Jesus is not creating a, a situation for you just to feel bad about the type of person you're becoming. Instead, Jesus is trying to do a work in your heart, and he's trying to change the way that you see the world because he wants you to see the world the way that he sees you. Because that's indeed what changed the world. I'll add a little bit more meat to the bone. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 43 through 48, Jesus introduced this radical way of thinking. He said it in this way. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the good and the evil. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. This word perfect, it, it sounds like, well, how in the world could I do that? It's meaning mature or being complete. So what Jesus is, is getting at in verse 48, he's saying the love of the Father and the Father himself should be your role model for how you love people. Because we love because Jesus first loved us. I'll illustrate it with this story. Bob was a small business owner. He was successful in his, in his public life. He was successful. The business was growing. 
but yet privately he struggled with substance abuse. He struggled for a long time with substance abuse. No one knew it on the outside because he looked successful, but yet on the inside he knew that he was just in a state of decay. And he knew something, that, something was wrong, but he didn't know how to fix it. Some friends, eventually, they, they knew Bob, and they had a heart for Bob, and they loved Bob. They were trying to love Bob like Jesus loves Bob. So they invite Bob into their church. Eventually, Bob gives his life to Christ, and he realizes what he'd been missing his whole life through was indeed that. They rejoiced in his salvation. He got baptized. He got plugged into the family of God. He got plugged in so far that he eventually joined a group. He's sitting in a group one day, and as he's growing in his relationship with Christ, just in the midst of discussion, talking about the Word of God and sharing with one another, just in true and great biblical community, Bob has this aha moment, and he realizes the reason why he had been chasing, he has been, even up to this point, been chasing substance abuse, and just chasing for that substance was a cover for something that happened back in his youth. And he realized that he was trying to band-aid a wound that he had for a long, long time. After Bob gets saved, he eventually gets clean. And now he's, he's clean and he's, he's, he's completely clean and now he's sober. And now he's on, on the other side into a life of sobriety and he's living on fire for Jesus. And now he, being compelled by Christ, now he's actually serving in part of a recovery program that's sponsored at the church. Bob doesn't miss. He sponsors other people in recovery. He's a guide for other people in recovery. Bob had experienced the love of Christ, and now the love of Christ is flowing through Bob to other people. Bob has said many times, and he said this, within the group, and he said this to his own family about working with others in recovery and pouring himself out into this recovery program. Bob has been been quoted as saying this, I would do this for the rest of my life and never get a paycheck. What would drive Bob or someone like Bob to do something like that? Christ's love. Because... Bob experienced, and many of you have too, true motivation from God's love. Because God's love will motivate you to love others like he first loved you. God's love will motivate you to love others the way that he first loved you. I want to make this very practical as I land the plane today. Based upon this scripture and some others that I could share, you have some fill in the blanks on your info card. Just some ways that you could say, well, pastor, I get it. I can either be motivated by myself or I can be motivated by God. You've, you've shown me scripturally what I need to do. I feel, I feel compelled to do so. Maybe for you, you are saved. You, you have the love of, of Christ. Then I would say for you to do this, stay in communion with God. Stay in communion with God. Pursue the the daily spiritual practices that are going to help you to be closer to God. Whether that's Bible reading or just doing your devotion or it's meditating on Scripture, just reading Scripture, just being in community, joining a life group, 
being in, and on a serving team. Stay in communion with God. The second is this. Think before you speak. So many unloving situations can be avoided with this little idea. Just think before you speak. Think before you speak. Third, practice taking care of yourself so that you can care for others. It's nearly impossible to to be purely motivated by God's love if you redline your life and you're exhausted all the time and you're irritable all the time because you're trying to outpace Jesus. It's just so difficult to love others the way that God loves us when we're redlining life and we're operating at such an exhausting pace. So practice taking care of yourself so that you can care for others. Fourth, make love your default reaction. First, we have to understand that 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 is not our default. Our actual default is to be unloving. So we need to make the love of Christ our default reaction. And how do we do that? By incorporating the other things we're talking about right now. The fifth, when you're tempted to be critical, remember your own shortcomings. When you're tempted to be critical of someone else, that somebody just gets on your nerves, or you see them doing this, or you you see them do that, remember that you too do some of those behaviors. And in doing that, it's not to just sit and and wallow in self-pity and shame, but instead understanding if you have the love of Christ Christ flowing through you, that God loves you and he demonstrated his own love for you in those, even for those moments when you're doing the wrong thing. And may that compel us then to follow through to do the right thing. And, And the last thing is this. Perhaps it's the most important and the most difficult. Communicate over internalizing hurt and anger. It is not loving to hide hurts. It's not loving to ignore pain that other people are bringing into your life. It is not loving to you, and it's not loving to them. It's not loving to to just put everything aside to avoid hard conversations. That's not loving. As a matter of fact, that's unloving. Because how could that person change if that truth isn't brought before them? Jesus modeled all of these things perfectly. So for us, we need to communicate over internalizing hurt and anger. We need to communicate. If somebody wrongs us, as much as it depends on us, we need to make peace or live at peace with everyone which means we have to keep short accounts, which means we have to go to God often, bring it to God, to to bring those offenses to God so that we can be brought into the presence of God so that the same irresistible love that caused us as Christians to give our lives to Jesus can flow through us to then love someone else. You see... I'll summarize it with all, everything that I've said with this one statement. The church is irresistible when it's motivated by love and it creates space for anyone to belong. That is when a church is irresistible.
It's when the love of Christ is felt vertically from heaven and extended horizontally to people around us. My question, my challenge for you is this. Do you know the love of Jesus? Do you know it? Is it in you? Is Christ in you? Does it motivate you to love people the way that Jesus loves you? And if your answer is no, that you, you're not, you're not in, in the know as far as the love of Jesus or you're not experiencing the love of Jesus and letting it flow through you, then I would say there's some work that needs to be done on your heart. I invite you to stand with me. And maybe today is, right now in this moment, is, is the beginning of that process. The heart work that needs to be done. I'm believing that this was, this was a reminder for somebody today who's maybe been unloving to people. Or maybe you're harboring a hurt and you're holding it over somebody's head. Perhaps you've said something so callous as, I will never forgive them. Oh, that's just not the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is that Jesus demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners in our worst place, doing the worst things, thinking the worst thoughts, having the behavior that was the most shameful, in that moment, Jesus was dying for us. In that moment. It wasn't when we were cleaned up and everything's going great. It's when we were at our worst. See, the altar is going to be open if there's something that needs to be done. You have work that needs to be done with God. And maybe you just need to go to God and say, God, I have been unloving. I've been unloving so many times to so many people, I can't even put names and, and, and faces to it because I've just become this type of person. And maybe you just need to go to God and just cry out and say, God, I'm sorry. I've made a mess of it. I've made a mess of the love that you had for me. I've made a mess of the mission that you, you sent me to do. I've made a mess of being able to share the gospel with my friends and family. I've done that. Jesus, please forgive me. Maybe that's what you need to come forward and do. Come forward now. Don't wait. If that's you, come forward now. Don't wait. Maybe for you, I'm just, just talking about the love of Jesus, and you haven't even experienced the love of Jesus because you're not saved. Oh, I'd love to share the gospel with you personally. I would love to sit with the scripture and show you the, the pathway by which God has laid out for us so you can know for sure that you have a connection with your heavenly father, that you're known and that you're loved, for you to live at peace. I would love to show you that. But that's gonna require you to take a step. If that's you, that, that means you have to take this step. I don't know what's going on in your heart. Only you and God know right now what's going on in your heart. 
What business do you need to do with God? As we sing, don't let this moment pass if God's whispering something in your ear, trying to get you to do something, trying to follow through with something. Don't let this moment pass without doing it. So many times God speaks in moments like this and we don't follow through and it's simply us disobeying again. If that's your story, write a different ending. Let it be today.